0: If you would, I would encourage you to grab a Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. That's where we will begin our lesson this evening. While you're doing that, I would like to welcome you to the services and thank you for your presence on behalf of this congregation. And uh, We have many that have been here throughout this meeting and uh, that means the last two nights. So it's Friday, but we've only been able to meet since Wednesday and uh, we're grateful for the opportunities that we've had, and if you're here visiting for the first time this week, we thank you for taking time out of your schedule to be here with us. First Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, "...but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners." for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me For that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief." I don't believe that there's a one of us that, if the apostle Paul were with us tonight, would sit there and point the finger and say, You're the chiefest of sinners, Paul. But Paul said that about himself, didn't he? You see, Paul understood the grace and the mercy of God because he understood where God had brought him from. See, God, Paul was always a religious man. He was devoted to his practice under the law of Moses. He was devoted to it to such an extent that when this movement of Christians began and people started following the doctrines and the teachings of Jesus Christ and submitting to the gospel of Christ, he persecuted those people and he thought he was doing the right thing. But there's a point in time in Paul's life when he was a Saul of Tarsus that he needed to be straightened out. And Jesus did the straightening out, didn't he? We studied last evening how he met the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. And at that point in time, you saw a change. You saw repentance take place and you saw the works of Paul change in an instant. I want to tell you, that's the kind of change that Jesus can make in your life tonight. The reason that Paul made such a change is because his eyes were opened and he understood that what he was doing, even though he thought it was right... He was convicted that it was wrong. And he was open and honest with God. It took a lot of humility for Paul to write those words, didn't it? To write to a young evangelist, Timothy, inspired of the Holy Spirit and say, you know what, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Does anybody like to be wrong? Does anybody ever like for someone else to be right and you to be wrong? We had a little question the other night over some coffee after church over something that Sean and Craig and I and a few others were talking about. And guess what? I was wrong. <laughs> and I sent Sean a text message. I said, Man, I'm sorry, I was wrong. And it was just something in the scriptures that I had said that he said he thought it was a different way. And we started discussing and talking about it. And I was wrong. It's one thing for me to have pride when it comes to admitting that I'm wrong to my fellow man, but if your pride gets in the way of you admitting that you're wrong when it comes to being in the presence of God, that's a whole different ballgame, isn't it? Paul understood love, grace, mercy, and salvation because he realized where God had brought him from. I want you to examine your life tonight and ask yourself, have you lost touch with where God has brought you from? Go to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. The Apostle Paul also writes and he discusses this idea that there are things in life that he knew he shouldn't do. And guess what he did? Those things. He said, there are things that I know I ought to do. And he said, I didn't do those things. And look at how he describes himself there at the end of Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 22. He says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You ever look yourself in the mirror and just hate what you see? Paul looked in that mirror and he said, I hate what I see. Because what I see is sinful flesh. I see someone who struggles with temptation. I see someone who gives in to sin and the lust of the flesh. I see someone who has violated the law of God. And he says, oh, wretched man that I am. I want you to understand that without God and without Christ, that's all we are. And tonight, if you have not come and come clean and been open with God about the sins of your past, you'll never be able to say the words that Paul says next. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And then continuing there in chapter 8 and verse 1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. As long as he was outside of Christ, all he was was a wretched man with nothing good and no redeeming quality. But within Christ, what was he? He was the Apostle Paul. And if Paul could look at his life and say, Oh, wretched man that I am, what should we say about ourselves? And I'm not here to beat up on you tonight, but I am here for you to understand the importance of being honest with yourself and being honest with God. Confession is something that's very hard to do, isn't it? Come and confess every sin that you've ever committed to me or any other man. But I would urge you to come clean with God. And if there's any sin that you have in your life tonight, you need to make sure that you bring it to the Lord. You need to make sure that you're open and honest about that sin and that you want to fight against it from this day forward. And when Paul said, oh wretched man that I am, he said, you know what, there's a war going on. And for there to be a war means that he had some kind of will and desire to not be that way anymore. And what we see today is people who live in sin and just don't have any desire to change. They just want to keep living the way that they're living and at the end hope that God will forgive them. Paul didn't live that way. Paul acknowledged his sin, said, I'm the chiefest of sinners, but I thank God through Christ because I don't have to be what I was. That's the power of the gospel of Christ. You don't have to be what you've always been. You can be something new. Because He makes you a new creation. He doesn't just clean up the bad. He gives you something brand new and brand new. It means precious. Because you're now a new creation. He remakes you into a new being. And it all starts with what we're going to talk about in Proverbs chapter 28. Turn to Proverbs chapter 28. And we're going to talk about the importance of coming clean with God. Proverbs 28, we're going to read the first 13 verses. It says, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as lion. For the transgression of a land, many are the princes thereof, but by a man of understanding and knowledge, the state thereof shall be prolonged. A poor man that oppresseth the poor is like a weeping rain which leaveth no food. They that forsake the law praise the wicked, but such as keep the law contend with them. Evil men understand not judgment, but they seek the Lord. They that seek the Lord understand all things. Better is the poor that walketh in his uprightness than he that is perverse in his way, though he be rich. Whoso keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of righteous men shameth his father. He that by usury and unjust gain increaseth his substance, he shall gather it for him that will pity the poor. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Whoso causeth the righteous to go astray in an evil way, he shall fall himself into his own pit. But the upright shall have good things in possession. The rich man is wise in his own conceit, but the poor that hath understanding searcheth him out. When righteous men do rejoice, there is great glory. But when the wicked wicked rise, a man is hidden. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. I always heard that confession is good for the soul. You know who told me that? My dad. And I said, Dad, that ain't true. All confession does is get me in trouble. I was about 14 years old. I said, Every time I tell somebody I did something wrong, it just brings punishment upon me. And that was true when we think about man and our relationship with one another. And when my kids come to me or I hear news that they've done something that violates my will in my household, there's consequences. You know, sometimes the consequences of our disobedience to God are unseen momentarily. And many people use that absence of an immediate punishment or an immediate consequence as justification that if God doesn't want me doing this, He'll strike me dead. But God gave us Christ so that you and I willingly could come clean before Him. See, there was a time in the law of Moses that if certain aspects of that law were knowingly violated, it was punishable by death. And we have certain instances in the Old Testament that that God did the destroying immediately upon the disobedience. God doesn't operate that way anymore because we have the mercy of Christ. And what He desires is that we would come clean with Him. That we would be open and honest about our sin. And if we walk around with a facade acting like we're perfect Christians and we never do anything wrong, number one, we're lying to ourselves, and number two, we're not providing an atmosphere where people will be able to come in and be a part of who and what we are. Brethren, we're sinners saved by the grace of God. We're Christians. We're kings and we're priests in His kingdom. But don't forget where the Lord has brought you from. Paul didn't, did he? He said, I was the chiefest of sinners. I was, oh, that wretched man. But Christ exalted him. Tonight, I want you to come clean with God. Proverbs 28 and 13, we read, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them... Shall have mercy. You see, it's not just the fact that I come clean and I tell God what it is that I've done. There's another aspect to that command, isn't there? That I forsake those things. Have you ever struggled with a sin and after you participated in that sin, you said, Oh, wretched man that I am, I'm sorry that I did that. But did you turn your back on it? Or the next opportunity you had, did you find yourself giving into that sin again and again? And again, certainly you may have confessed that and acknowledged that sin, but you didn't forsake it. We think of God forsaking Christ on the cross, and what that meant was God turned His back on His only Son because He couldn't commune with sin. And as Jesus was on the cross, what did He become? He became our sin. He wasn't just a man dying on the cross. He was taking on the burden of your sins and my sins. And God the Father could not have a relationship with that. So He forsook Him. So when we think about forsaking sin, we have to turn our back on that. And when you become a Christian through your obedience to the gospel, you've got to turn your back on that old man. You can't reach back down into the watery grave of baptism and drag that old man up and resurrect it and drag it with you because then you're living in bondage again. (laughs) Don't be entangled in that bondage of sin but forsake it. And say, I'm giving it up because I know there's a better life with Christ. What is confession? You ask many people, well, what does it mean to confess something? Well, It doesn't really matter what I say or you say. What does God say confession is? 1 John 1 and verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So something that confession is able to accomplish is that we confess or we acknowledge the sin that we have in our life. And because we acknowledge that, that brings us into a humble mind that's in need of what? Forgiveness. You can't have forgiveness without an humble heart that understands what it needs. If there's nothing that you need from Christ, there's nothing He can give for to you. And when we think about confession, I want you to understand tonight, you're not telling God anything that He doesn't already know. You can come and confess to a brother in Christ. You can come to the elders of a congregation. You can come and talk to me. And you might confess and open your life up to me and tell me things that you've done so that we might work and guide and teach and study together so that we can both grow from that experience. And you would be revealing something to me that I didn't know. When you confess your sin to God, all you're doing is acknowledging in your mind what you've done because God already knows it. We think of confession as us revealing something to God. All it is is you accepting the fact that you've done wrong. That's hard to do. Why? Because nobody likes to be wrong. Why is confession so important? James 5 and verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Something that confession... And acknowledging our sin with one another does is it creates an atmosphere of acceptance. There's brethren that I look to in the church and I look up to and I say, man, they never do anything wrong. But then you get to know them. (laughs) And guess what? They do stuff wrong. One of the things I struggled with as an early Christian was this idea that you got to be Perfect. And so many times people are discouraged because they look at the church and say, I'm not good enough to be there. I want to tell you, that saddens me to hear somebody say Now some, some people could use that as a cop-out. But I think there are honest people that look at Christians today and say, Man, look at the kind of father he is to his kids. Look at what a great wife and mother she is. I can't live up to that. And what confession does is it brings us back to the idea that, you know what? Maybe we have things together now, but there was a time where we didn't. And it wasn't by our own power that we got to where we're at today. It was by the love and the mercy and the grace of God. You see, people can relate to that, can't they? People can relate to the struggle. People can relate to the inner war that's going on within all of us that Paul talked about. And brethren, we've got to be able to relate to them when it comes to that problem. And we've got to offer them hope. And understand, even Paul acknowledged and said he was the chiefest of sinners. Not just because of what he had done persecuting the church of God, but who he was even then today. He looked at his life and said, I'm a wretched man because there's this inner struggle. And guess what? It's going to be that way till the day we die. You've just got to keep fighting. And part of fighting is confessing and acknowledging that you're not perfect. The Lord didn't call the righteous. He called sinners to repentance. And we've got to remember that no matter how long we've been removed from that old man. Never forget where the Lord brought you from. Hebrews 4 and verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I tell my boys, guess what? Dad sees everything. (laughs) I've got eyes all over the place. And we tell them we've got eyes in the back of our head and they start searching, trying to find them. I said, they're not there. You can't see them. (laughs) But if you ever do something wrong, guess what? Mom and dad are going to know about it. Elizabeth teaches at their school across the hall from them. They ain't got a chance to do something wrong. And as all-knowing as we might think we are as parents, the greater lesson is telling them that God sees and knows everything. You think about the ugliest sin that you've ever committed in your life, guess what? God knows it. And if you're entangled in it tonight, God knows it. Every other person in this audience might not have an idea or a clue of what's going on in your life and what you're living like. The Lord does. Everything's naked and open before Him. He sees it all. You can't run and you can't hide. You know, A lot of people commit their sin in the darkness of night while people sleep. And they do that because they think they escape. And nobody knows. God does. He sees it. And the great thing about it is even if he knows it and sees it, he's sitting there saying, just come to me. As our children get older, what do we desire more than anything? A good enough relationship that when they mess up, they know they can come home. They know they can come and communicate with us as parents. And yeah, there may be consequences. But we want them to understand, we love them, and we want them to come to us. God's the same way. And tonight, God knows you're not perfect. And if we were real honest with each other, we'd say, we know we're not perfect. But it takes a heart that's willing to admit that before you can get the help of God. It all starts with the beginning of understanding who Christ is. Truly came for. Romans 3 and verse 10, the Bible says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. If you think that you can live good enough, if you think you can cross every T and dot every I and obey God perfectly, guess what? That in and of itself shows evidence of pride which violates the law of God. You can't do it on your own. And as we think about how right we can live and how good we can be, we have to understand the word of God is true. And he says, There's none righteous, no, not one. So that does that mean we just give up and say we can't do it. Paul said in Romans 6 and verse 1, verse 2, he says, God forbid. He said, Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? And Paul said, God forbid. Don't use the law of God as an excuse to go out and live any way you want to because we can't live up to it. Because we have an even greater promise in that when we sin, we have forgiveness. If we confess and bring it to Him, He understands you're not perfect. But Christ came for you and I in that state. Matthew chapter 21 and verse 31 He says, Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, The first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Now, Jesus taught that parable about the two sons that the father bid to go work in the vineyard. And he asked one to go, and he said, Yes, he would, and he didn't go. One said he wouldn't go, but then did what? repented and changed and went and worked and he says which one of those obeyed God or obeyed his father and did what the father wanted the one that changed his mind and went and worked and served God and then he makes the point to the scribes and the Pharisees he says the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you put yourself in the shoes of those Pharisees religious people We've got the will of God. We're obeying it. We're religious. Just look at us. We'll show you and tell you how good we are being puffed up and arrogant with pride. And Jesus said, the tax collectors that cheat people and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. I don't know about you, but that's humbling. Because a lot of times today, we sit here and we get puffed up with ourselves. Look at what we've figured out. Look at what I've done. Look at how good I am. And we're no different than the scribes and the Pharisees of the first century. We have to be humble and understand that all of us, though we might not have been a prostitute or cheated people as the the tax collectors did in those days, all of us have sinned. And whatever sin that is, God is justified in destroying our soul for eternity. Because with God, sin is a violation of His will. And any sin is worthy of death. Why was it that these harlots and the publicans went into the kingdom of God before the scribes and the Pharisees? Mark 1 and verse 5. It says, And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Because those harlots and those publicans came to John the Baptist and repented of their sins and were baptized of him in the baptism of repentance that was for the remission of sins at that time. While the Pharisees stayed inside the city and proclaimed how religious and godly they were, people with an humble heart were going out and fulfilling righteousness. By doing what? Confessing their sins. We know that that's the case because even Jesus was tempted by the scribes and the Pharisees to explain the baptism of John. John. And he asked the scribes and the Pharisees, he says, you tell me one thing. If you're asking about my authority, he says, I'm going to ask you a question. He says, was the baptism of John, was it of God or was it of men? And the bottom line was this, the scribes and the Pharisees had not submitted to the baptism of John. And either way, they were condemned. Because they weren't willing to confess their sins and acknowledge that they had a problem. In the work that I'm blessed to do, we have many opportunities to counsel with a lot of different people. And anytime you counsel with someone that has a problem, the first step is to get them to admit that they've got a problem. I want to tell you, your first step to salvation tonight is to admit that you've got a problem. And that problem is Sin. I don't know what's in. But out of this crowd of people, I venture to say somebody is in sin. I hope and pray that's not the case. But you know, I know my own life too. And The things that I struggle with. The temptations that sometimes can easily cause me to Fall. And we're all wretched men without Christ. But we've got to be willing to be open with God and confess those sins to Him. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 14. You see, the Bible teaches us that we've got to be honest about who we are. We've got to be genuine and sincere. Not put on a show and not put on a front or a facade that we want to seem religious and we want to seem righteous and we want to put on everything that everybody else can look at and say, that's the perfect Christian. Because understand, the perfect Christian is never perfect. The only perfection or completion that we have is because of Christ. Not because of what we do and what we say. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 14 says, For God shall bring every work into judgment, with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. There's a lot of things we do secretly that are good. And we ought to keep doing those things, but occasionally there's these things that we do in secret that are what? Evil. Evil. And I venture to say there's no one in this room that would just go out and and live and say, you know what, this is evil, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to tell everybody that I'm going to do it. We try to keep those things hidden, we keep those things secret. We all have those skeletons in the closet per se, don't we? But understand what Jesus came to establish was a kingdom, His church... A community of people who were believers in Christ and followers of Christ to the extent that they understood they weren't perfect and they understood that they could turn to one another when they need help. And I ask you tonight are you a person that people can come to with their sin? Are you a person that people can confide in and say, Help me be a better Christian? I don't want to live this way anymore. That's why the church is here. We're not here to put on our suits and come and look pretty on Sunday morning. We're here because we understand that without God, we would be nothing. And we want to shine that light to this world and say, are you hurting? Are you in sin? Come be with us because we know how that feels. But too often times we get so far removed that we lose touch with who we once were. Now I'm not saying be entangled in your past to such an extent that it becomes an albatross around your neck and it weighs you down and keeps you from performing the work that God has for you to do. But also don't ever forget how far Christ has brought you. Another aspect of being honest about our sin is understanding you can't clean it up. No matter how hard you try, and I don't know if you're like me, but oftentimes when I make a mistake and then I just try to fix it myself, what happens? It just makes a bigger mistake. And it just grows and grows and grows until finally I, I, there's nothing I can do. I need help. And we've got to be willing to ask for help. Number one, from God, but number two, from our brethren. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 22. It says, For though thou wash thee with nitre and take thee much soap, yet thine iniquity is marked before me, saith the Lord. You can't clean it up. You can't remove your sin. It's marked ever before God. And he's telling there in Jeremiah, he's telling God's people, your iniquity's always going to be there. You can try to live righteously. You can try to dress it up. You can try to seem religious. You can try to ignore it. You can try to justify it. It's always there before God. But then Isaiah teaches about an opportunity that was going to come. Isaiah 1 and 18 says, Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord, Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He says, you can't clean it up, but there's coming a time when the Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ comes that you will be able to have what? You'll be able to be clean. But you won't go to Christ and get clean until you realize how dirty you are. I want to ask you tonight, have you realized how dirty your life has been with sin? Until you do, you won't come to Christ. And I want you to understand tonight, we don't stand here in judgment of anyone, but all of us are in the same boat. You may look at another Christian and say, man, they've got it all together. Brethren, let's take down that wall ourselves and be honest with each other. That doesn't mean we glory in our sin. But we got to be willing to admit that we've done it. And then it's through the blood of Christ that it can be washed and it can be cleansed. Don't you think Isaiah and Jeremiah and all those prophets that wrote about the coming days of the Messiah wish that they could have seen that with their own eyes. We know they did. The New Testament teaches us that the prophets wrote expecting and longing to see these things come into place and they died not having received that promise. But guess what? They did expect it, didn't they? And now you and I stand here today after the blood of Christ has been shed on Calvary, And sometimes we're just a little too rebellious to accept the free gift. Sometimes we're just too prideful to let that wall and that facade down and be real with people. We have to be real. We have to be honest. We had a young lady, in fact, this past summer, my age, passed away. And we had recently converted her and her fiance and we're doing studies with them and they were coming to church faithfully and she had lupus and she passed away. I've still got a text message on my phone. The last text message that she sent me, she told me she was going to the hospital and she never came out. And you say, why are you telling me this? This is why. Because on that text message at the bottom line, she had a saying. She said, keep it 100. And I said, what in the world? The first time she sent that to me, I said, what in the world does it mean to keep it 100? She said, be real. Be honest. We sit here in our comfortable buildings with comfortable chairs and comfortable environment. And oftentimes we put on a fake front that we're perfect Christians. Brethren, we're not. We've got to be real with people. The reason that I'm a Christian today is because I had elders in a congregation close to home that came to me and said, Chase, the Lord never expected you to be perfect. And they sat there in my living room with my father and I and said, these are some of the things that we've done in our life. They didn't have to do that. But what that did is it showed me that I could do it. It showed me that I had a chance to have eternal life. And then they showed me the gospel. And so this is how you become perfect. Not by your power, but by Revelation 1 and verse 5 said, from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Your righteous life can't do it. No ritual that you observe and practice can do it apart from the blood of Christ. Tonight, come clean with God. If you're here and you've got sin in your life, today is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Come clean with God while you still can. See, there's going to come a day where there will be no more opportunities to come clean. And your life is going to be an open book before God as it is now. But it's going to be too late for you to have the blood applied. And you'll pay for it in an eternity separated from God. And Jesus stands calling. Jesus gave a great invitation. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He didn't say, come unto me, all ye that have it all figured out, have all the answers, and can do everything perfectly yourself. He said, if you're hurting, I'm the one to come to. He said, if you're burdened, bring that burden to me. He said, if you need help, I'll help you. And tonight, if you need the help of Christ, we stand here to serve you if you need to be baptized to come in contact with the blood of Christ that can cleanse you from your sins, can make you a new creation, it's time for you to come clean with God. But if you're here and you're a brother or sister in Christ and you struggle with sin and you feel that you've been overtaken in that sin and it's cost you maybe your eternity with God that you once had, we're pleading with you to come back tonight. I want to tell you, Jesus is pleading with you to come back tonight. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And if you need to repent tonight, we want to serve you and assist you as we stand and sing.